The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone, and all of you intentional spirits out there. And I always like to come from that place of gratitude and appreciation and to say thank you so much um, for all of you who participate in the show and interact with us with comments and questions and join us on Facebook Live. And I'm, I'm so grateful to all of you also that share the show because of you. People are tuning in from all over the world we have a uh, just a tremendous, unique opportunity today in that we have um, an amazing guest with us, Dr. Arun Gandhi, fifth grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. Um, he is just an amazing activist. He's an amazing difference maker. And you know me. You've listened to me for the years. I don't give the title amazing that often, and I'm so celebrating it today that I wore my amazing T-shirt. <laughs> Anyway, with this being such a a great opportunity, I invite you to, you know, let us know where you're tuning in and also to ask questions for him because he is such led by his heart and he has so much to share. So welcome, Dr. Arun Gandhi. Welcome to our show today. And thank you for being here and, and bringing who you are. That alone changes people that I know. Thank you very much for having me on the show and for giving me such a wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, it's it's well-founded. It's well-founded indeed. So one of the things that I always like to ask, and I know that uh, with a name like yours that we could make s- some assumptions of a course, you know, you're Gandhi's grandson. Of course you're going to follow in this nonviolent or talk about anger as a positive, of course you're going to do those kind of things. But was there a defining moment? Did you always know that as an intentional spirit this would be your work, or is there a story there? No, there's always a story there. I mean, <laughs> I didn't realize that I was going to do the type, the type of thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, but, you know, there have been some right turns in my life that um, have changed the course completely. And the first one of them happened in 1956 when my father uh, died in South Africa. And um, I, being the only son, I had to carry his ashes to India to um, immerse them in the sacred river there. And um, the intention was to go there and do the perform the ceremony and uh, maybe meet with my uh, relatives, my uncles and aunts, and try to figure out my future and come back to South Africa. 
But while I was there, and uh, I got a sudden attack of appendicitis and had to undergo surgery, and I fell in love with my nurse, and that kind of uh, made the decision for me because South Africa refused to give me permission to bring my wife back with me to South Africa because of apartheid. So I was forced to live in India, and not that I regret it, uh, I think it was a wonderful uh, opportunity for me to uh, launch out on my own. And uh, I saw all the poverty and destitution and oppression, caste oppression going on in India. And uh, so my wife and I decided we need to do something uh, to help the poor people in whatever little way we can. So we got involved in that, and we, over the years, uh, helped a lot of people with uh, self-help programs. Uh, you know, one of the things that I learned from my grandfather was that anybody who lives in oppression, whether it's economic or political or any kind of oppression, the first thing that they lose is their self-respect and self-confidence. And so when we help them, we must help rebuild their self-confidence and self-respect so that they can stand on their own feet. And so we developed several programs, and we uh, launched those programs, and many of the people uh, benefited from that. And it's still growing on its own momentum now because I'm not there anymore. But, uh, you know, these were things that we did over 30 years in uh, in India while we were there. And it was because of those programs that... Uh, a friend of mine from uh, the United States who was stationed in in Hong Kong, he was a minister of the United Methodist Church, and he came and saw the programs, and he was so impressed by it that he decided uh, that any American who came to Hong Kong, he was going to send them to India to see these programs. So we started getting a steady stream of visitors coming from the U.S., and once we had a lady coming from Vicksburg, Mississippi, and uh, that kind of perked up my, uh, you know, interest because I had suffered race, uh, color prejudice in South Africa, where it was purely color-based. It was black and white issue. If you were not white, you were black. And then I came closely in touch with the caste prejudices in India. And uh, when I heard about Vicksburg, I realized that Vicksburg was the hotbed of uh, racism in the U.S. And so I started talking to her and questioning her about racism and, and what the, the situation was. And this was in 1984. And we was just talking about it like casually, like, you know, two friends would talk. And suddenly it occurred to me that it would be an interesting thing to write a book on the subject, comparing the three types of prejudices, the color prejudice in, in the South Africa, the caste prejudice in India, and the race prejudice in the U.S. So I just casually mentioned that in the, during the talk, and she asked me, would you like to do it? And I said, yes, I would, but I don't have the means to come to the U.S. and do the study. Uh, and uh, we left it at that, and about six or seven months later, 
I got a letter from the University of Mississippi offering me a fellowship to come and do the study. And that's how uh, my wife and I landed up here in the U.S. in 1987 and uh, based at the University of Mississippi. And they made the mistake of announcing that Gandhi's grandson was in the country and was studying racism to write a book and all that. And so that attracted a lot of publicity. And uh, very soon I started getting so many invitations to go out and speak that I never could finish that study and, and write that book. It's still on the back burner. But now for the, for the last 31 years, uh, I've been doing, you know, just going around and speaking and and writing other books. But uh, so that's, you know, that's how I got involved in these things, and it just happened. And I think a little, uh, to a large extent it's also because I not only got that foundation from grandfather, but my parents believed in his philosophy and they practiced it at home. And so we grew up with that kind of love and respect and compassion for all living beings and uh, and so we saw that happening all the time, and it just sort of became a part of us also. It, it's so beautiful to listen to your story because it just it just really is so clear how your path was kind of shaped all along as to what you would be and, and how you would be expressing yourself and, and continuing these great teachings of of your your grandfather you know one of the things i i say often is please let me live the book i'm writing versus being so concerned about getting that next book written and wow haven't you you've been living the book (laughs) (laughs) from place to place you've been you've been dropping these ideas along and downloading them and sharing them with others and one of the things I find um, so refreshing and um, just so healthy is that you do address and you talk often about anger and for whatever reason, and we can feel it now in our current mm-hmm. times. This is, this is, of course, my opinion, but, you know, you feel where too long, too long, the word anger has been a bad word, and it's been... Yes and misunderstood and so therefore you know anger of itself and uh i'm going to give the subject back to you because you 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 know it's your specialty but anger of itself is is so beautiful like having a heart filled with tears but because Mm. it's so denied it builds up in the psyche and the consciousness of a human being that it goes from what could be something slight and light and, and developed, it becomes like this rageaholic kind of you know reaction of um, of all of this, like like you talk about so frequently. So, um, does that work for you that we we talk about anger a bit? Because I sure think a lot of people need it. Yes, I think it's very important because you know it is uh, uh, something that is. Um you know, it concerns everybody everywhere in the world. And because everywhere we have been taught 
uh, that anger is evil and we must suppress it and and ignore it and and you know and the result of that is that we all end up abusing anger instead of using that energy constructively and i had that experience because you know as i said earlier i grew up in south africa where there was a lot of prejudice and at a very early age i was beaten up by whites and by blacks because both of them didn't like the color of my skin and this was a normal thing going on in south africa all the time that uh, you were judged by the color of your skin and if you if they didn't like you they just insulted you or beat you up or you know just in one way or the other they um, kind of got you know vented their anger and uh, i wanted to fight back also you know that was the normal thing that uh, we experience that if somebody insults you you got to fight back and insult them i for an eye justice and uh, that's when my parents took me to india and the first lesson that grandfather taught me was about understanding anger and being able to use that energy constructively he said anger is like electricity it is just as useful and just as powerful but only if we use it intelligently but it can be just as deadly and destructive if we abuse it so just as we channel electrical energy and bring it into our lives and use it for the good of humanity we must learn to channel anger in the same way so that we can use that energy for the good of humanity rather than abuse it and cause uh, death and destruction and now when i grew up and when i've been reflecting on this and and practicing it to the best i can i realized that this is the foundation of his philosophy of nonviolence that if we don't understand and and learn to use our anger intelligently we will never be able to practice nonviolence and that is where a lot of the present misunderstanding of the philosophy comes about because everybody looks at nonviolence as the opposite of violence that if we are not fighting with anybody or if we are not at war with anybody we are living in peace now that's not true because individually and collectively all of us are practicing violence in many different ways and that is what my grandfather taught me also and it happened uh through a little pencil when i was coming back from school and i had this little pencil in my hand and i uh, decided that i deserved a better pencil this was too small for me to use and without a second thought i just threw the pencil away because i was so sure grandfather would give me a new one when i asked him for it but that evening when i met grandfather and asked him for a new pencil instead of giving me one he subjected me to a lot of questions he wanted to know how the pencil became small and where did i throw it away and why did i throw it away and on and on and i couldn't understand why he was making such a fuss over a little pencil until he told me to go out and look for it and i said you must be joking i said you don't expect me to look for a little pencil in the dark he said oh yes i do here's a flashlight and he sent me out with the flashlight to look for this pencil and i think i spent about 
two hours searching for it, and when I finally found it and brought it to him, he said, now I want you to sit here and learn two very important lessons. The first lesson is that even in the making of a simple thing like a pencil, we use a lot of the world's natural resources. And when we throw them away, we are throwing away the world's natural resources, and that is violence against nature. And the second lesson is that because in an affluent society we can afford to buy all these things in bulk, we overconsume the resources of the world, and because we overconsume them, we are depriving people elsewhere of these resources, and they have to live in poverty, and that is violence against humanity. And that was the first time I realized that all of these little things that we do every day consciously and unconsciously, and it's become so much a part of our lives that we don't even you know, think about it. We just do it because it's natural. Uh, things that we throw away and waste and overconsume and and so on. You know, I mean, uh, just imagine how much food each one of us throws away every day because we take more than we can eat and and then we uh, just waste the rest of it in, into garbage. I was shocked when I read an article in the New York Times a few months ago when they said that in the United States alone, we throw away $160 billion worth of food every year. $160 billion worth of food goes into the garbage in the United States when there are millions of people going to bed hungry in our own country here let alone all the people uh, outside our country. So that is the worst form of violence. And to make me understand this, he made me draw a genealogical tree of violence. It was a way of looking at my own weaknesses. It was a form of introspection. I had to put down on the on my wall violence as the grandparent, and physical violence and passive violence as the two branches. And every day I had to analyze and examine everything that I had experienced during the day, things that I may have done to other people or people may have done to me or things that I may have read about. All of that had to be analyzed and put in their appropriate places on that tree. Now, physical violence is something that we know and understand because it is so uh, in our face. It's all the kinds of violence where we use physical force against one another. But passive violence is something that we don't know because we have not considered that to be violence at all. And that could be anything like discrimination, oppression, suppression, economic, political, social, cultural, religious, uh, name-calling, teasing, uh, looking down on people, wasting resources, over-consuming resources, ignoring poverty uh, you know, within our own country and outside, or ignoring people's uh, anguish. You know, when we see somebody uh, in anguish, we just turn and walk away from there because we don't want to get involved in that. Now, all of that is a form of passive violence. 
And when grandfather made me do this, and within a few months I was able to fill up the whole wall in my room with acts of passive violence, that is when he explained to me the connection between the two. He said, we commit passive violence every day consciously and unconsciously, and that generates anger in the victim, and the victim then resorts to physical violence to get justice. So it is passive violence that fuels the fire of physical violence. So logically, if we want to put out that fire of physical violence, we have to cut off the fuel supply. And since the fuel supply comes from each one of us, we have to become the change that we wish to see in the world. If we don't change ourselves and change our attitudes and change our relationships with each other, we are never going to bring bring peace in this world. We may achieve individual peace. We may live in isolation and in peace with ourselves because we have everything that we want. But nobody can live individually. We are all interconnected and interrelated, not only as individuals, but even as nations. So for any nation to say that they are going to protect themselves by creating an army and weapons of mass destruction uh, and ensure the security and stability of our nation, they are totally mistaken. No nation can survive on its own if the rest of the world is going down the drain. However powerful we may be here in the United States, we are going to sink also if the world is sinking. And the world is sinking because there is so much of strife and so much of poverty and so much anguish and and everything going on all over the world. And instead of helping resolve these issues, we are stoking the embers there and creating more violence. And uh, eventually it's going to consume us. So the security and stability of any nation depends on the security and stability of the whole world. And unless we have that vision that each nation bases its foreign policy on not just what is good for themselves, but what is good for the world, and is willing to do what is good for the world instead of doing things for themselves, then we are going to be able to save this world and create peace there. That is it was not, a long lecture I gave. It is, a, it is so on point, and it, it's definitely the book that everybody needs to read, like starting today. There is no doubt about it. Uh, a number of years ago, I started saying, if the world is round, you know, why take sides? Or if the world is round, there are no sides. And I, I love uh, so much about everything that you're saying, and we're getting so much feedback, too, from people listening on Facebook and the concepts that you're sharing. And, you know, when you were talking about just the waste, and I love that that's in the category of, Passive violence, because it is such a violation of our planet, of Mm -hmm. all consumption. And um, I spoke a couple of years ago, along with um, some other people in um, the Association of Global New Thought, and and, and my topic was the amount of animals that are murdered every year, and they don't wind up on anybody's table. 
It, they're right. not even necessary. Um, it's just heart wrenching. All the fish mm-hmm. and all the chicken and all the herded animals. They're murdered. Um, they're they're murdered and they're not used. They're they literally are thrown away. It is so pathetic. Um, yeah, it's a, we have we have adopted a very uh, violent and very uh, insensitive lifestyle. So yes. you know, all these lives uh, don't matter, and we now we're getting to the point that even human lives don't matter. Never mind animal lives. I mean, I see, you know, our media here has not been showing us uh, the picture of the destitution of little children in Yemen. Uh, I've seen it on BBC uh, here, and it's really shocking what this war between Yemen and Saudi Arabia is uh, doing to little children, starving them to death. I mean... I've seen pictures of children who are nothing but uh, skin and bones. They, you know, five, six-year-old kids who have nothing to eat and they're just skin and bones. It's because of this war between the two countries. And all wars, I mean, our own war in the Middle East and in uh, in Syria and all of that is playing havoc with uh, common people and children. And, and can you imagine how many generations are going to grow up in that kind of misery and, and what their life is going to mean? It's beyond words. It, it's it's just beyond words. And, and I just, you know, it's like um, sometimes in whatever small way or large way, and I know we have a lot of listeners that are, that are out there and they're activists or they are, you know, engaged spiritual activists, etc. And it, it, you know, you, you keep on with this beacon of light and hope and clarification and teaching and training and things like that. And I'm, I'm now overgeneralizing that many of us in whatever ways we can do that, whether we're famous and known or whether we're just approaching the ripple effect that we have from where we live or whatever, but it, there's times it, it feels like we're, you know, <laughs> moving backwards instead of moving forward. It just seems like, goodness gracious, <laughs> we ought to be more of an evolving humanity. What is so slow about our awareness, you know? Yeah, because I think what has happened is we have created this kind of materialistic lifestyle which has uh, made us very selfish and self-centered and greedy, and we just think about ourselves and uh, our country and, and um, <clears throat> you know, want uh, the biggest share of the pie for ourselves and not be concerned about others. You know, this, this is the first seed of, uh, of uh, selfishness that we plant in our children. When we tell them when they are still young, that they have to be successful in life, that they have to get to the top. Don't think about anybody else. Just think about yourself and get to the top by any means possible. Now, that is the first uh, lesson that we teach children, and it's a very selfish lesson. We are not instilling in, in them compassion and understanding for other people. We are instilling greed and selfishness in them. And that is how this whole cycle keeps going and, and becoming worse every day. 
So we need to get out of that kind of cycle, and we have to realize that we can all do wonderful things. You know, ever since I started talking about this and and uh, planting seeds of peace and nonviolence in the minds of people, I started getting a lot of um, you know questions from others asking what can one person do you know we need to have a big setup we need to have a big foundation uh, to do this and what can one person do and i said one person can make a very big difference and i in, in order to show them practical uh, you know lessons of how people have done this i organized a, a tour of india it's called the gandhi legacy tour of india which happens every year from December 29th to January 14th. And the purpose of that tour is to take young people as well as older people, anybody who's interested in learning more about the philosophy of nonviolence, on this tour. And I have picked 10 uh, programs that have been started by individuals and today, they, in less than 30 years, they've uh, transformed the lives of millions of people. And, and these are really amazing programs, and they were all started by, you know, people who came from the grassroots. They didn't have any big names or big, uh, um, you know, backgrounds. They came from regular people, and they just had that compassion and motivation to do something for the uh, for society, and, and they got down and started doing it. And and now, in 30 years, they've affected the lives of millions of people. So, you know, what we are unfortunately taught in our modern society is to, you know, f first figure out what the result is going to be before we take any action. Now, that's not practical. We can't figure out what the result is going to be. If we get bogged down with saying that I want to transform the lives of a million people, we won't do anything because it's so overwhelming. But these people started on their own, just one person at a time, and in 30 years they've transformed the lives of millions. So we need to, you know, uh, be more conscious of that and we need to allow our compassion and love and respect for humanity to uh, supersede all the hate and the prejudice uh, and greed that uh, dominates us. It's so it's so spot on as well, you know, that we're we're taking so many kids and from the get go we're making them competitive instead of connected. And right. then we we throw in the education which is a very dated system and we we have all these uh of the children that are fortunate to go to school and I realize globally we're talking about many different layers, but um often when people children can go to school, it becomes about what they make on a test uh, versus exactly. developing the brain instead of developing just everyday um, common sense. That's one of my favorite statements is please don't let spirituality replace your common sense because it will really serve you, you know, if you'll, if you'll let it. But we've gotten so much focus on 
the grade, you know, like it equates to something magical and creating a lot of debt with these young people that feel like, well, now, no, I'm not good enough if I have a degree. I'm not good enough. Now i got to have a master's degree, and I'm still not good enough, and now i got to have a Ph.D., and they're, they're walking in life $200,000 in debt, and, and they haven't even started anything yet, you know? It's yeah, just, exactly. It's, and it's our just, whole education system is based on, uh, on uh, creating workers and, and uh, you know, giving young people a career that they can exploit to go out into the marketplace and make as much money as they can. That is the purpose of education. It's not about, you know, helping understand your character and helping understand your, uh, you know, your being and your, uh, uh, your connection with life. There's nothing about that at all in our education. It's all about giving you a career. You choose a career that you can uh, use to make money, and that's the foundation of all education. So people come out with huge degrees, uh, you know, and PhDs and all that, but in human relationships, they are nil. They don't know how to build relationships. They don't know how to uh, create relationships. And that's part of so much of what I, I love about your teaching is there's so many things that um, people listening um, can start doing like right now. I mean, they can yeah. you know, become very right. proactive uh, right now and, and right this minute and, um, and, and do some things that feel like they're part of the change instead of just, uh, you know, watching it happen right before exactly. our very eyes. And, and I know and I, I want to... I hope your listeners will someday join uh, the Gandhi Legacy Tour and come and get inspiration from uh, these programs that are started by individuals there. And, you know, it's really amazing uh, what they've done and how they've done it. And I want to mention this to everyone again. It's December the 29th through uh, January the 14th, the Gandhi Tour of India and um, Arun, can they find it by going um, on ArunGandhi.org? Is that where the information is that they can? No, no, they need to go to GandhiTours.net. Okay. Or, or GandhiTours.info. Either one of them will take them to. Okay, GandhiTours.net or GandhiTours.info, and In- we will also be putting that into our, our comments uh, for those of you uh, that are tuning in to Facebook Live. And, and please share this uh, video today with all your family and all your friends and making that connection because um, this is the conversation that we need to be out there. This is the conversation we need to be on the front page of, of CNN every day and all the other uh, mega uh, newspaper connections, this is our conversation and we need to share it and share it freely and share it and share it boldly uh, now, (laughs) not tomorrow, but now. (laughs) Yeah, it has to happen immediately, not, you know, we can't procrastinate on this. No, uh, 
we are our window of time our, our window is smaller now you know for yes, sure it is it is for sure you know i also um know um because um with the television show uh, the intentional spirit and i'm going to be seeing you on monday and i'm, I'm just very much looking forward to that but you're te- teaching at one of the universities, are you not? Because we do have some um, Florida listeners that are tuning in today. Are you teaching at USF? Yes. No, I, I'm teaching at Rollins College in February. Okay. Uh, that'll be a that's a semester long course run by uh, my friend Dr. Margaret uh, um, in uh, Rollins College. And okay. uh, Mac- Margaret McLaren, and uh, I'll be teaching a two-week segment of that course uh, in February. But I'm speaking at uh, Florida Central uh, on next Tuesday, I guess, Tuesday morning. Oh. At Florida at Central the- University. Yeah. So those of you tuning in, there's a great opportunity right there, that Florida Central University right there in um, Central Orlando. So it could have your name on it, the opportunity to be able to go and stay immersed in this in this consciousness and, and this energy. So um, one of the things that you, um, you're constantly reminding people of how to be aware of the of the passive violence, and it's it's such a it's such a teaching of everyday life. What are some of the the things as far as you know? You got me. You had me at hello. You know, people are listening. You got me. I hear it different. I've been thinking, like you said, and I'm speaking collectively, that you know, here we are thinking we're not violent people because we don't even blow the horn at somebody at a traffic light because they're not moving on a green. I mean, we're really into that place, and we feel like we're making an impact, and we're making some. But I love what you're calling to action. It's all those other subtle things throughout the day that we're contributing yeah. to the violation of nature and, and to our earth. What are some of those do-them-now kind of things that we could start putting into action um, before we're able to travel on a, on a tour? Are there... Some simplistic things we could do now? Well, I think what we need to do, and I encourage people uh, whenever I talk about this, is to undergo the same kind of introspection that I was taught to do, uh, putting down, uh, you know, building a tree of violence with physical violence and passive violence. It can be done as an individual um, project, or it can be done as a family project or even a class project. Uh, And that's where individually we come across all of these uh, little things that we miss in our everyday life. When you put it down on on a paper, black and white, then you know that you have these weaknesses. And the way I was made to uh, to find out whether this is passive violence or not was to ask myself a simple question. If somebody were to do this to me, would I be helped by it or would I be hurt by it? And if I came to the conclusion that it would hurt me, then that would be passive violence. 
And that is how you decide on, uh, you know, I mean, take any day issue. If you see um, somebody in anguish or hungry or or something and and you stop, you know, one of, uh, we have to also remember that we commit, we do charity more out of pity than out of compassion. And the difference between the two is, that when we see a hungry person on the roadside, our immediate reaction is to put our hands in our pockets and get a couple of dollars and give it to the person and walk away from there. And we think that we have done our good deed for the day and we go happily uh, that we have bought our ticket to heaven. But, <laughs> and we give them a granola bar. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we don't know, we don't know whether that person is going to buy food with it or he's going to buy uh, drugs or cigarettes or liquor, what he's going to do with that money or whether it's enough to meet with his requirements or not. We are not concerned with that. We just do our deed and walk away. Now, what grandfather said was that we should be acting out of compassion. And if we are acting out of compassion, then we should be willing to stop there and talk to the person and find out why is that person incapable of taking care of himself or herself and what what kind of strengths does that person have that can be uh, exploited to, you know, so that he can, he or she can stand on his own feet and earn uh, his own livelihood. And that means giving, you know, more of yourself rather than your money. And unfortunately, today we are so self-absorbed that we don't have time for anybody else. We we just want to do our own thing and uh, and not waste time with uh, street people. And that's where the tragedy occurs. I think if all of us get involved in trying to help each other, uh, we would, you know, do away with so much anguish in the lives of people that uh, we will then create harmony and peace. Now, we talk about peace so much, and, you know, if you really ask somebody, what do you mean by peace? Their immediate reaction is no violence. And because they are only thinking in terms of the physical violence, they don't think in terms of the passive violence. And so they think that as long as we are not fighting or or at war with anybody, we are living in peace. And that's not true, because we commit passive violence in many different ways. So in nonviolence, peace really means creating harmony harmony between all, not just human beings, but with, with all of nature and all of creation. And it's that kind of life that we need to learn to live uh, in harmony with everybody, and, and then we would really have peace. So it's, you know, something that we have to work on every day. It's not that we can work for one month and and peace will be achieved and then we can sit back and relax. Peace will not be achieved. We have to continuously uh, live it, create it, and build it every day of our lives. 
Hallelujah. I mean, it, there's so much more than just lighting a candle. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. yeah. singing song. I mean, um, those, <laughs> that's really nice, but it, it's not very action oriented. And, you know, for me, peace is the honoring of life and all living things. And that's a huge practice every day. It's a huge yeah. practice. It's uh, looking at your your diet and do you really need those big old meals every day and getting in touch with that in a meditative practice. And, and do you need to buy products that you're absolutely going to wind up, like you said so eloquently earlier, just throwing away and then yeah. not getting... But I, I tell you, I'm still in my heart. I'm so, I'm so touched by. Uh, I mean, I could just, I could really, I could just cry. About the statement you said a while ago, when you said that, you know, when we come up to people that are, you know, they're yeah. on the side of the road and they have their sign. Mm. Um, it, it was somehow the door, the way that you articulated that. It, that we're we're giving them a little tip, you know. We're mm. we're looking at our wallet or our purse, and we're just we're giving them a little tip. And you know, basically, what I heard is that action is really just um, it's camouflaged so we don't have to feel bad. It has right. nothing to do with supporting the person that already feels bad. And it, I just. I just had such a, like a, whoo, like a boulder, like a, a, a moment of that, because you are spot on when we go, oh, do you have any change, or, oh, you know, do you have any, you know, a couple of bucks mm. in your wallet, but we actually feel like we're, we're doing the world a huge favor, but it's not really for the person, it's really no. for us, so we can feel justified um, mm. That we're making six figures a year, and look at us and our accomplishments. We don't have to feel any kind of energy of responsibility. I just that just was so spot on, and I'm so grateful that you put the rubber on the road on that one. And I think that's a southern term, but I'll explain it to you later when I see you. But <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> I know that term. <laughs> I've come across that. Don't forget, I lived in the South for 18 years. (laughs) I'm I'm never sure, you know, because I I say I'm bilingual. I speak English and I speak Southern and, you know. But but anyway, that is so spot on. And and for a person to be willing to take the time, pull the car over to the side, part and go to the person and say, where are you? You know, let me he offers some real compassion here. Let me let me be in a conversation with you. Is there something that can be done? Is there a phone call I can make? Um, gosh, I love that. That was huge. That was such yeah. a gift. I mean, everything is, but that just uh, just pushes that that part of and. So I, I want to repeat that a bit because I just want to make sure that there's that aha moment that is it's and so I'm paraphrasing what I feel you said that you know we need we think we call charity like oh it's an opportunity that we did something mm. but our charity is coming from more of a perspective of pity rather right. than 
passion. Did I, I say that correctly? Yeah, pity rather than compassion. It should come from compassion and not from pity. Because when we're coming from compassion, then we are engaged and we mm-hmm. actually make a relationship to the issue at hand so we could actually do something more effective that's not just a short-term, uh, a short-term band-aid that yeah. ultimately yeah. isn't going to make that big of a difference. Right, and like I said earlier, that we what we need to do is through our actions help rebuild that person's self-confidence and self-respect and make them realize that they can do things for themselves. They don't have to depend on society or depend on someone giving them some money. They can get up and do things for themselves. So, you know, the action, we can only help People build their self-respect and self-confidence when we act out of compassion. But if we act out of pity, we don't want to get involved in it. We just want to give the person something and get away from there as quickly as possible. Yeah, we're really making that test. One of our um, listeners is saying we're, we're moving into a place of more empowerment rather than a handout. We're lifting mm-hmm. up. We're inspired yeah. and, and we're a contributor for something that could offer, you know, great change where the other, the other just keeps feeding the whole issue, doesn't it? I'm on top, therefore I have a wallet where I can give you something and you're on the bottom. It really just keeps feeding that same yeah. cause. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we have um, about th- three more minutes. Our Gosh, our time has gone so fast. I just want to iterate to everyone about the opportunity that uh, Dr. Arun Gandhi is going to be in Florida on Tuesday at Florida Central. You can Google it and and find out how to get there, what to do, to be able to experience more of what he is offering. And also to go to Gandhi Tours, gandhitours.net or .info to find out how you can participate on the year-end tour that sounds just uh, definitely uh, life-changing. Of course, his website is arungandhi.org. Um, I'm so looking forward to spending more time with you on, on Monday. I'm, I'm having just these energetic shifts, just being with you and being in your presence, and um, you are truly modeling, on, and I just, I just applaud you and I, I honor you. Is there a couple of closing ideas you want to leave us with today? Well, I would, uh, well, I'm very happy that you gave me this opportunity. But, uh, what I would like to leave the listeners with is uh, the importance of doing that kind of introspection that I talked about and finding out how each one of us is contributing to violence and think of violence not just in the physical term but in the passive term where we don't use any physical force and yet we hurt people directly or indirectly. And and that will be a very revealing thing. And once you understand that, then, you know, you will be able to change your, your own weaknesses into strengths and become a better person. That should be the goal of every individual. We should become better 
people morally, ethically, and otherwise, not just financially, but are they, you know, completely better people? And, and by getting rid of all the weaknesses that we have and tra transforming them into strengths. That's very, very powerful. Thank you so much for continuing the Gandhi teachings and doing it so powerfully as you do and touching hearts and changing lives. I just really Thank ap you. Applaud, you, applaud you, Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And until the next time, thank all of you for listening, and may you continue to learn the tools as an intentional spirit to be difference makers in the world. God bless you on this amazing journey that we call life. Get fully in it. It's time to be engaged. God bless you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehays.org. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from T.J. on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on UnityOnlineRadio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Have you ever said to yourself, I'm living a life I never intended to create? What life did you intend to create? Did you set goals? Did you work toward reaching those goals? If we don't have a specific goal in mind or we don't know where we want to go, we may be likely to end up in places not of our choosing. Establishing goals along with guidelines on how to achieve them helps to keep us focused and energized and often makes our lives more interesting, useful, and successful. It's never too late to take control of your life. Once you have your purpose clearly in mind, explore the various ways you can make it happen and visualize the process you believe can work best. Set goals, do what it takes to accomplish them, and enjoy your process. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Be sure to grab the latest issue of Unity Magazine and read the interview with Ram Das, the iconic spiritual leader of the 60s. He's now focused on how to age consciously. Spiritual author Thomas Moore reflects on grumpy old men and women. And Barbara Bowen writes a touching story about her experience as a caregiver to her mother with dementia. To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to unity.org and click on Publications. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear the beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. The toll-free number is 1-800-NOW-PRAY. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 